There it is. All right. Welcome, everybody. I'm so excited, so honored. Ah, so I'm such a cool guest today. All right. Well, we are going to jump in and get started, and let's go ahead and just do that. Here we go. Practicing polyamory, real-life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, all right. Welcome, 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 everybody. We got this beautiful Thursday special guest. But before we jump in and chat with today's guest, I want to quickly remind everybody that we are, as always, open for questions. So if you have any questions about your relationships or if there's a topic you want to like, you would like to hear discussed on the show, slide into my DMs. Follow me on all social media platforms, especially Facebook and Instagram at Practicing Polyay. Send me a message. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes wherever it is that you download a podcast. And remember remember that the show is recorded live. We can get your questions answered live on the show. If you check us out on YouTube, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, any, uh, Twitch. Blech. All right, off topic, off script. Here we go. As always, to remind you, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a welcome guest to be on the show. We're here to share stories. And I want to get as many voices as possible to speak here because I know that the more stories we hear, the more representation we'll have, the more others will see us in themselves, and the more we can strengthen our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up today. All right, that's my spiel. And now, best part of the show is to introduce our awesome guest. I gotta be honest, I was actually terrified writing this intro today because today's guest is so funny, witty, creative, and educational. I feel like nothing I say can possibly live up to the legend but I'm sure as shit going to try. Our guest today is far and away one of the best damn polyam educators on the internet today who, along with her husband, he's on dad duty today, has created some of the funniest, most relatable and educational TikToks, tweets, and podcasts gracing our internet waves today. As funny and entertaining as they are, they're not just doing it for laughs. They have a deeply rooted mission behind every funny video and meme. Their goal is to expand the cultural narrative on healthy relationships to include polyamory, non-partnered, asexual, open, and more. And today, we'll talk about how they are using their voice. I am beyond delighted to chat with someone who I genuinely look up to and whose content I absolutely adore. And I hope that we can keep the laughter turned down enough to get through today's show. Joining us today from Remodeled Love out of Reno, Nevada, welcome to the show, Jessica Levity Day Lover! All right, all right, Jess, welcome. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. That was the greatest intro I have ever received in my whole life. Oh, thank you so much. It's my one skill. It's the one thing that I'm good at. I have peaked everybody. Uh, that's it. I'm done. I'm quitting the internet. See y'all later. Never <laughs> this feeling. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you really for uh, spending some time with me today. Um, really appreciate it. You have done some amazing things, some just incredible work. Um, tell me about this mission of yours. You want to expand the cultural narrative. Uh, you want to get the word out. You want to normalize polyamory. Is that what you're, is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, well, and and I want to redefine love and redefine family. And, you know, so much of how we operate in this world is based on the scripts that we receive. And sometimes these scripts are very obvious, like we're being told this is how you love and this is what a relationship is. And other times it's it's very subconscious. So it's um, and the underlying narratives that we're seeing in books or stories or movies or the things around us. And I went somehow, you know, 25 years without knowing the word polyamory or knowing mm-hmm. that an option for me. And so, um, and because of that, I, I wasn't aware that was something a person could do. Yes, perfect reference. <laughs> yeah. And um, it really created a lot of trauma for me. Um, and the way that I think a lot of queer people, and again, I'm not trying to get into is polyamory queer, but mm-hmm. my journey as a queer person, same thing where I'm like, wait, I didn't know that there were words for this and that this was okay. And that um, I do fit into the world. And so I'm just kind of on a mission to help normalize um, and to create a cultural narrative. And so that other people, as they're seeing this, if it's resonating with them, they can feel more comfortable in the world. And even if you're not polyamorous, mm-hmm still need the script because even if you aren't participating in polyamory, the script still, you need to be able to hold the script to allow other people to exist in it. So that's kind of the mission that I'm on. I love that. And it is something that a lot of people can relate to. There's, there's something that you were saying there um, that these are the scripts that we're brought up with. This is a script that we're, we're taught over and over and over again. And I know that there's a word for that, that you and Joe use and are very passionate about. Can you tell me? I I think you know what I'm saying already. Yeah. And I'm laughing because my boyfriend said he created a drinking game when him and his nesting partner listened to our podcast. They drink every time we say the word semiology. (laughs) Uh, But semiology is a very real thing. It's the cheers. It's the um, (laughs) the symbols by which we we understand our world. And so our semiology exists deep inside our conscious and subconscious mind. And we want people to expand their semiology to include things like seeing three people hold hands, right? Mm -hmm. That's not Mm -hmm. in our semiology, that simple vignette of seeing three people hold hands, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And simply seeing it and knowing that it's okay, your semiology around three people holding hands and that maybe they're in love, maybe that's a relationship, maybe they're married, your semiology around marriage expands when you see that symbol. Interesting. So the mm-hmm. semiology is more than just having the language or more than just, um, I guess, the things that you don't know or that you don't know that you don't know. Yes, perfect. That was perfectly said. Yeah. Um, semiology was really interesting. So when COVID hit, right? And you went to the store and for the first time in many people's lives, because we're privileged in this country, we saw empty toilet paper shelves, right? And our brains had never seen empty toilet paper shelves. Yeah, that semiology of these empty shelves didn't exist. And it was shocking. Same thing with the masks. Like think about a year ago, it felt so weird to see everyone, you know, wearing a mask everywhere Mm -hmm. you it, because the semiology didn't exist in our culture, right? right. Maybe in more Asian cultures, the semiology does exist, so it's not weird. And now, a year and a half later, the semiology of wearing masks 
exist. And so it's not uncomfortable. So it's really, it's bringing things to light that we just weren't previously exposed to. Uh, Like you said, somebody holding hands or or three people holding hands Mm -hmm. to our general semiology that's that's out of out of norm that's basically what it is so i mean so i'm thinking of like statistics and i always go to that bell curve right the bell curve has the the 67 that's i guess the norm the standard deviation or whatever and anything outside of that uh is going to be considered different or or you know out of the norm so if if polyamory non-monogamy in general does it fall out of, or if it falls out of that statistical norm, how can we make that semiology more common, I guess? How, how, do, do you understand what I'm saying here? Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the whole mission that I'm on. And, and you know, you interact with a lot of the content creators uh, who are on this mission. And as you said in my intro, my angle is a bit different, right? Because some people are coming right out with educational content. Here's a definition. Every day they're posting a definition on their Instagram and they're educating people from a really academic or cerebral standpoint. My mission for the semiology is to create sketches and stories that aren't about what it's about, right? Mm -hmm. So kind of many layers deep in what I'm doing because here's just a sketch of what I do while my husband's on a date, right? And so if you're watching it, the semiology seeping into your mind seamlessly while you're like, seemingly while you're just watching a funny sketch is her husband's on another date. She's okay with it. She's having a good time at home. Um, this is really funny. Laughter makes our walls melt, and it's I'm normalizing it. So I'm giving you the concept that my husband's on a date with my consent. I love it. I'm happy for him, and I'm saying all of that without that being the point of the video. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. It's uh, the the writer's greatest trick is to show a story, not tell it. Yes, perfect. Thank you. That's so when I am. And all of the content creators are expanding the semiology, um, the cultural semiology on relationships simply by sharing, um, giving definitions, things like that. I am expanding the semiology of parenting and parenthood simply mm. out here um, as an a, an out polyamorous parent, which is a privilege. I always want to state that to be yep. out in general Period. is yes. a privilege. To be as able to do this show. Yeah. Um, as a parent, especially. And so we have an idea in our culture, um, parenting is this nuclear family, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm out here, you know, with sketches of, you know, me and my toddler making fun of my husband getting ready for a date. <laughs> on the surface, it's just a funny video of me and my toddler going, ooh, ooh, daddy's going on a date. But beneath that, you're like, holy crap, the father's dating, the family is supportive. There's just a lot happening that under the surface and I am showing and I'm normalizing. I'm giving mm-hmm. the invitation in my content that polyamory doesn't have to be a big deal. It can be casual, just as casual as if you were to see a piece of content from another family cooking dinner, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know teasing dad because he's getting all dressed up to go out with his buddies, you know, because they're going somewhere nice and the same type of thing. Yep. And so I'm, I'm giving my, 
viewers an invitation to be okay. Whether you know someone polyamorous or you think you might be polyamorous or you are in that, we call it the dark ages, <laughs> where you're making the leap from monogamy to polyamory and you don't know what you're doing. Um, and so much of my fan mail that I get is around people saying, thank you for normalizing. Thank you. Mm. for And I do feel like yes. that's the spirit of my content is creating normalization around the mundanity of, of polyamory. I love that. I absolutely love that. I think that was um, part of what inspired me to start this. Um, if nothing else to normalize it for my family, for my friends, for the people that, that see me. Um, and somehow I got connected to you and you're touching the lives of like tens of thousands of people right now. And I'm just like blown away to be able to, to hang out with you, chat with you. Um, I wanted to ask you, okay, let's get, let's get a little bit more personal. I love the semiology. I love this, this, uh, uh, the semiology conversation, but before the show started, I went ahead and I listened to your four minute coming out story, uh, your Venus in Scorpio story. And I loved it. I wanted to know if you wanted, if, if you could just kind of chat a little bit about uh, that realization that you had and, and, and share with uh, the audience on this show. Yeah. So, you know, eight years ago, I heard the word polyamorous for the first time. and was like, holy shit. I think that's me. And a couple months ago for our podcast, episode seven, we were interviewing my metamorph. So my husband's um, lower. Yes. That was one of my favorite episodes. So good. Um, they're a death okay. in LA and they're just talking about their identity and they identify themselves as demisexual. And I somehow had never heard that term before. And the way demisexual is someone who cannot experience a sexual attraction to someone. Hang on, just just to circle back. Did that expand your semiology? Yes. <laughs> all right, all right. Anyway, good job. <laughs> um, the traditional def definition of a of a demisexual is someone who cannot experience sexual attraction without an emotional attraction. Mm -hmm. um, but lore for themselves defined it as they have a switch inside of them and for sexual attraction. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that switch is on and sometimes it's off and they're not in control of the switch. That's their definition of demisexual. And like, even if they have an emotion, they definitely have to have an emotional attraction. Mm -hmm. But then once they have that, the switch might be on or it might be off and they're just not in control of it. And I was just like, holy shit. That's my cuss on this show. I didn't ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hang on a minute. Shit! Language! Wait a <laughs> <laughs> um, and so in that episode, you sort you hear it being planted in me. I'm like, oh my God, that sounds like me. And then I talk about um, it's very confusing to me because my deepest desire is to be a hoe, is to be at the I love that. Tantric sex goddess. Like I listen to um, content creators like Polyphilia and mm -hmm. Polyamorous Wall Asian. They talk about throwing mm -hmm. sex parties and going to all these orgies. And I'm like, I want that too. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so fun. You have no idea how much I want that to be me. But for me to have an orgy, it would have to be all people that I knew and loved deeply. <laughs> like I couldn't just the idea of going to like a swinger party and having sex with people. I don't know. Oh my God. It is so 
I can't even, I don't think I could do it because I realized I'm a demisexual. And so I, you know, I called that piece Venus and Scorpio. It's part of my chart. And, um, you know, where your Zodiac is with regard to Venus, where your placement is, is, is how you love. And to have my Venus placement in Scorpio just says that I like to go deep. I like my journey in this lifetime is to learn about sex and romance and love by going within myself and going mm -hmm. in depths of emotion and romance and like that tantric karmic chemistry. Um, and so I realized like, not only is that who I am, but I'm really not interested in anything else. I um, loved that. Yeah. So I think I spent a lot of, I think there are a lot of people who are like, oh yeah, that sounds great. I would love to have those deep connections. And also I'm fine with just fucking anyone. Mm -hmm. I'm realizing I've tried to be fine with both and I'm really just interested in the one. And um, it's very hard for me to navigate sexual connections that don't have that emotional piece. Um, and so I realized like, I just don't even want to do it anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. One of the things that, that, uh, you mentioned in your uh in that podcast episode was and, and that you were talking about is that your like deepest desires to be a hoe but later there's like a uh a cultural narrative right that you should only desire sex when it's meaningful so how are you um how are you how are you finding the balance there between uh, whether whether you should have that connection, right? Whether whether it's because of a culture taught thing or whether it's really the demisexual in you? What a great question. So I actually my mind was kind of blown because um, there's a content creator and I can't remember if it's purity to polyamory. I feel like it was before yes, I know them in content, but somebody came out with a piece of content from ex purity culture that said, am I a demisexual or am I just recovering from purity culture? Mm. And I was like, wow, touche. Um, and I, I leave room on the table for the reason that I think I'm demisexual is actually just all this programming. I don't come from purity culture, but I definitely didn't come from a sex positive culture. Mm -hmm. So it's totally possible to me that I think I'm demisexual um, but really I'm not, but kind of the point of that coming out post was I have spent so much time analyzing my, why I'm like this. And for a while, for the next chapter of my life, I want to just stop analyzing it. I just want to let my switch be on or off. Um, and if I come across someone and my switch is off and it's secretly because I just have to deprogram my own, you know, purity and cultural, ideas that I need to have an emotional attraction, then that's what it is. And maybe in this next two chapters from now in my life, I'll, I'll be over it and my switch mm -hmm. will be on whenever I want it. But um, it's very exhausting to analyze your identity and your sexuality all the time. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like you are, uh, you are just allowing mm -hmm. yourself to be, I know you're kind of witchy, right? So, so there's, there's the allowing an energy or or a presence whatever and then there's trying to effort there's trying to make something and it sounds like the analysis of those feelings is a lot of efforting whereas just letting the switch be on or off is just allowing it to be and it seems i don't know hopefully that means more on switches for you yeah or like or even if it's not as many switches 
letting it be worth the wait because I'm because with my Venus and Scorpio, I am hypersexual. And I think that a lot of demi traditional demisexual people are not hypersexual. Um, well, I don't know that for sure, but it's like I have this conflicting identity, which is really interesting. So the demisexual in me is like, mm, I need this emotional attraction. But my Venus and Scorpio is like, but once it's there, like that's all I that's all I want to do. Like twenty plus. <laughs> <laughs> once it's there, watch out. <laughs> yeah, like maybe we can take a break to do some sage and pull some tarot or something, but. <laughs> Oh man, that's too good. That's too good. So a little bit more on, uh, on you, some of your, some of your, some of the wars that you're waging, shall we say. Um, so lately there's been, uh, I've seen a lot of you going, you know, anti-capitalists, <laughs> right. And, uh, and, 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 uh, cishet men has been, uh, the latest victim of, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say victim, but, um, you know, I, I want to know a little bit of, of where this is coming from. And uh, I mean, it can be pretty obvious, I'm sure. But like, what is inspiring you to be talking about these things right now? Um, first of all, you're great and I adore you and you're a really great host. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> so the pandemic and TikTok radicalized me, to be honest with you. Um so I'm obviously, I had a lot of leftist leanings um, when the pandemic hit. And, and, and honestly, I was able to pause from the fucking rat race, um, which was a privilege. Um, I just started looking at like, it started with, I kept seeing a lot of meme accounts that I admire critique neoliberalism. And I didn't know what that meant. And so I looked up, you know, what is neoliberalism? And the, the meme that changed my life, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like a picture of a bomber, like a U.S. bomber. Mm -hmm. And the top one says Republicans, and it's just like, you know, bomb, dropping bombs on a country. And then the bottom one says Democrats, and it's still a bomber dropping bombs on a country, but it has like the LGBT flag and the Black Lives Matter flag. Yeah, yeah. And this is why I love meme culture, because I looked at that and was like, holy shit, I understand what neoliberalism, it's this facade um, where basically there's still one imperialist, colonialist, white supremacist machine in charge always. Mm -hmm. And all they're doing is changing the stickers, depending on, you know, the flavor of the, the zeitgeist of the country at that time. Mm -hmm. So then I started um, doing a deep dive and um, God bless, God bless TikTok. It is the greatest. I I'm one of the millennials. Fuck <laughs> Another social media app. I do not have time. And then the pandemic, I got curious and I think it is the greatest internet in existence. I think, um, I think that's a, that's, a, that's just like a, the pandemic hit and I got curious. Yeah. Like so many things, so many great stories started that way. <laughs> um, I started following a lot of, um, socialist and anarchist um accounts anti-imperial um and i just started learning and i honestly i'm late to the game i feel fucking ignorant 
Um, I have mm. a lot of privilege as a white person. And so I really was able to live a lot of my life just focused on myself and my dreams. And I want to be famous and I want to be a comedian. And um, I started getting educated really fast. And to be honest with you, a lot of the accounts I follow are people younger than me. I am like one of my favorite socialist education accounts. This girl is in high school. Wow. Like all I was doing in high school was smoking weed and trying to get a boyfriend. Like, and these people are out here educating political, doing political education. I started to understand the concept of the prison industrial complex and the military industrial complex. And to me now I am, I know without a doubt where I stand. So I do not get how anyone could be not an anti-capitalist because it is very clear to me that capitalism, now that I know what it is, truly understand its nature is the root of all evil. And our job, if we want to do, if we want to end white supremacy, if we want to end racism, we have to end capitalism because capitalism is the thing that keeps all that shit in place. And what really changed me was this essay that I read. So I discovered social ecology mm -hmm. um, during during the pandemic, um, and I. I signed up to take a, a class, a self-study class through the Institute of Social Ecology, which is its own thing. See, I'm nerding. Tangent, 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 come back. But I read this essay called Decolonizing the North, and it's written by this um, Indian scholar. And basically what it says is there are three economies, right? So we only think there's one economy, the capital mm. economy, the money economy, right? This essay is talking about, there's actually three economies. There's the capital economy, the, the one we all know, mm. then there's the economy of people. So in any given region, there's the economy of people, meaning how well are people living in this place and how good are their lives? And then they're in, and how much can they produce and like work and live free? Mm. And then there's the economy of resources. Literally, the Earth's resources is an economy. There's a certain amount of lithium in the world. And so there's it's that's a finite resource. And so as mm -hmm. you pull that out, that resource goes down, right? Right. So it's, it's an economy. And so capitalism, in order for the capital economy in any place in the world to go up for a group of people, the people economy... And the resource economy necessarily must be going down somewhere else in the world. Oh. So. Zero sum game. Correct. And when I understood hmm. this, there's no going back now. Because people will be like, capitalism, capitalism, that's. And so here's the fucked up thing about capitalism. So capitalism will grow an economy, let's say, for a bunch of billionaires, right? Somewhere in the world. And in order to do that, the people's livelihood economy and the resource economy somewhere else, usually in third world, modern, uh -huh. uh, marginalized places, are being depleted. So then capitalism has basically stolen from that place. And then capitalism will go, oh, my God, look at these poor, devastated people. You know what would solve their problems? Money. And then they pat themselves on the back. For, and then they'll come in to a place that capitalism has devastated and create, you know, NGOs and orgs that are there to uplift that place. But that place wouldn't be decimated if capitalism hadn't fucked them over in the first place. 
so interesting. I, you know, I, I'm convinced, and I have this argument argument with my brother all the time. I'm convinced that there are there are enough resources in the world to take care of everybody. There are. Like they're just choosing not to do it. Is, have you heard the term, uh, or maybe it was from you that I heard it, crony capitalism? Yes, and and capitalist bootlickers will be like, well, you got to give capitalism a chance because what we really see is crony capitalism. So don't don't take crony capitalism as real capitalism and then think capitalism can't work, which is whatever. But once you learn that thing about the three economies, it doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. That's that's an interesting take. The, the the three economies thing is is what what really has me thinking because, um, you know, I, I admittedly I'm an entrepreneur, right? I, I have a, an insurance agency, so like I build businesses and, and invest in real estate, and I trade stocks, and like I've learned the capitalism game, I guess, or I'm I'm learning it still, um, but. So, so like, there's a lot of beliefs that I still hold. I, I like being my own boss and I like, you know, whatever, whatever I'm, um, I'm able to do. And there's, there's definitely some uh, story. And, and, and trust me, when I talk to my brother, he's like, no, you can't take away people's uh, ability to earn because then, you, you know, they lose their drive. So how do we, what's the alternative if it's not, if capitalism isn't the option? Thank you for asking. The alternative is something called the solidarity economy. And the solidarity economy is being um, put forth by some incredible organizations all over the world. And the solid solidarity economy has to exist inside the community that it lives in. So what you have to do is you have to decentralize power and bring um, power and economy back to the community where it lives. And then everyone in the community has democratic buy-in. So you decentralize leadership and you make everything democratic. Um, so solidarity economy, um, a barter system is a form of solidarity economy. Um, time, time banking is a form of solidarity economy. Um, there's, there's different kinds of solidarity economies and you create them and sustain them within the community in which you live. Um, and so what that does is, and then you encourage communities to live off of the resources around them. And so instead of having this, you know, global system, which is controlled by a few people, you dismantle that entirely and you encourage, um, so, for example, I started um, a daycare co-op in my neighborhood. This mm -hmm. is a solidarity economy, right? And so there are four families, and each one of us takes one day, and that's free daycare right there. Now, mm -hmm. in a perfect world, daycare would be free anyway. But that's a form of a solidarity economy because it takes people living in a neighborhood, and it combines our resources together to create something for free for everyone. Nice. Nice. All right. That's going to lead me to my final question for you today. Uh, tell me about this other passion project of yours, Alchemist Movement. Oh, so I am, as you know, very woo. I'm a spiritual nerd. Um, so Alchemist Movement started in 2016. I'm a producer. I'm, I create a lot of shows. And so I've created a lot of shows in the last, you know, 12 years or so. And Alchemist Theater was a live show in Reno. Um, it was sort of what I always wanted church to be, but it never was. And so I would mm. go to 
church. Um, and I, I don't belong to a specific religion. I just, um, and I don't have any triggers around certain specific religions. So I can really go to any, any kind of church ceremony, no matter the religion and get something out of it. Um, but there was a theatricalness, um, missing for me. And I just thought, well, what would church look like if I produced it? Right. It would be flamboyant and gay, multicultural, um, well, at least like multi-philosophied. Um, and it would have incredible entertainers and flawless transitions. This is the thing I hate about church. <laughs> like, you've got a great band who just lifted your whole congregation like out of its seats and then you're going to move into church announcements? Like, come on, what are you <laughs> want some Whoopi Goldberg sister act shit when I walk in. So, um, we formed a band and our band was rocking and we would pick a theme. So every month had a different theme. And then I would give a sermon. And then um, the godfather of my children, Christopher Daniels, who is also a hilarious comedian um, and also a drag queen. Um, he was kind of like the main sermon. And so it was just very theatrical, very gay, um, very different. And so that was Alchemist Theater. And we existed as a spiritual entertainment show for five years. Um, and then we realized when the pandemic hit and all the social unrest was happening, um, we realized how problematic we were because just a bunch of white people up there mm. preaching about shit um, that we didn't, you know, we were not doing our anti-racist work. Um, mm. And we realized like the, the last thing we need is more white centered voices. Um, so we actually dismantled our show, which during the pandemic was easy to do. Um, after five successful years, and we reformed as a nonprofit who's focused on intersectional justice work in our community, and we reformed with Black leadership. And so um, all of the former alchemists are just serving, the white alchemists are just serving as supportive administrative forces as we attempt to redefine redefine what alchemist movement is in our community and what we're hoping to do is create a solidarity economy here in reno um, and to network uh with some we want to create a restorative justice circle um, and basically do this transformative work that needs to be done in our city thank you so much for sharing that uh one of the things that i learned from you uh and and uh, appreciate about you is that you're always uh self-reflecting and checking your privilege and making sure that, you know, when you're, when you talk about some of the things that you do is ah, that's a privilege, that's a privilege. And just, you know, recognizing it is, is powerful and reminds people, reminds me uh, to check mine as well. So um, Jess, I just want to thank you so much for hanging out with me today. It's been such a pleasure. Um, is there anything that you would like to uh, let the audience know? Uh, and also for anybody listening, uh, let them know how to get in touch with you if they don't already know they should. Yeah, you can go to remodelove.com and I've got links to all of my various social medias on there, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Um, also, if you're looking for peer-to-peer um, -peer support or coaching on your polyamorous journey, that's on there too. Um, and I just encourage everyone to look up Solidarity Economy and start learning about it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Uh, been so much fun. I, yeah, that was, that was a blast. Thank you so much.
Thank you. <laughs> and thank you, as always, to our live audience as well for tuning in today. Uh, remember that when we're live, we get no commercial interruptions, but the same can't be said for the podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch live Monday through Wednesday uh, and subscribe everywhere so you know when we're having a special episode like today. Or sign up for our Patreon where you'll get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is that you download your podcast if you haven't already. And please leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. Thank you again, Jess. Thank you, homie. All right, everybody. Have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolya.